Welcome to Member Maker, a podcast about how to build a sustainable membership business. I'm your host, Ward Sandler, the co-founder of MemberSpace. Today, I'll be chatting with Violet Day Ayala, founder of FemCity, about the benefits and difficulties of scaling a business sustainably, finding a price point that works for all people, and building an online community through social media. Hi, Violet. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Ward. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So as always, let's start off with you giving us a quick overview of your business and, and what you do. Sure. I am the founder and CEO of FemCity, and we actually do online classes for women entrepreneurs. We help women either launch a business or grow a business. And that is really our sole purpose is just to help as many women around the world finally launch their business that they've always dreamed about. Cool. So is it fair to say it's, it's sort of like online business coaching? It's actually a combination. So we have about 125 locations in the US and Canada. We launch and kind of grow two to three new cities every month. We are looking at launching also in Europe and some of the islands. And we supplement that with online classes. So we have a masterclass series. We have a course now. It's a 20-week course on the baby steps of how to launch a business. We realize that there are a lot of people in our community, a lot of women in our community that have always dreamt of launching a business, but really didn't know how to start. And so now we have a 20-week course that really just walks them through it so that they don't feel lost or they don't feel scared, that they really have the resources and the tools to go after their dreams. Very cool. So it, just so I'm understanding it correctly, there, there's the online classes and the resources, and there's also the physical locations you have? Correct. Yeah. So we realize that there is great value and when we meet together face-to-face. So we have monthly gatherings and some of our communities are a little bit larger. So like Philadelphia, Des Moines, Chicago, River Grand Valley, those have about you know a couple thousand women in those communities. And then we have some smaller ones that are located in backyards, you know, kind of like the suburb little neighborhoods across the United States and Canada. And they meet once a month. They are capped at about 25 people per gathering. So um, makes it so that's always very intimate and very private. It doesn't feel a little overwhelming for some that are new to the whole networking scene. And they all do the same curriculum. It's, it's an 80-minute format. It includes a lot of gratitude about other women in the world. It also includes um, an educational piece and a gratitude shout out for themselves. We realize that you know, we go through life kind of like uh, not realizing how great we are and kind of giving ourselves a shout out. So there is that piece included in our format that gives the opportunity for women to kind of give a shout out for themselves. I and mean, then they've accomplished that month or a goal that they've attained and it gives us the opportunity to applaud um, all of their successes. Cool. Yeah, that sounds real positive. I like the theme of that. So just so we can kind of take a step back. So that's where you're at right now. Where along the lines did this become a membership business and what were you before that? Yeah. So at the very beginning, we actually started um, in Miami and the idea was just to have 20 women come together once a month in Miami. And it was selfishly, I, I really needed this in my life. So I started it and never envisioned it to be more than just the 20 women. So at the beginning, it wasn't really even a membership. It was just kind of like a friendly get together, inviting some of the women that were in business for themselves, looking to launch and grow, looking for support, kind of like a focus group also. And after the first gathering that we had, it just continued to grow. So the second time we had like 60 women, I added some more components in the event. You know, I added a speaker component, a, a little opportunity for everyone to kind of give a shout out for their business. And it grew and grew. And by the end of that year, I'm talking about 2009, by the end of that year, we had women that were asking for a Femme City location 
in their backyard. And I had no idea what they were talking about because clearly we were just getting together for lunch. So there's no thought of having it be a business model or a membership base or a club or any kind of brand that could grow around the world. I already had my own business. I was doing a PR, I had a PR marketing agency working on environmental and political initiatives here in South Florida. So this was really not even on my radar, something that I would be doing full time in the future. And it really wasn't until I heard it so many times that I thought there's gotta be something more to this because they're asking for it. I don't really quite understand why they're asking for it. There's gotta be something more profound than what I'm seeing. And that's really where it started to pivot into kind of a traditional chamber of commerce format. So, you know, I really didn't know anything else that was out there, but we did know the chamber of commerce kind of format where you had to join the chamber and then you were a member of the chamber. So we kind of copied that model at the beginning and we became a networking organization. We had about 10 locations and it grew to 20 locations. And then we actually got approached by Google. We had one of our members worked for Google at the time and the Google Hangout platform was new and they really wanted to kind of uh, share the knowledge and information to entrepreneurs, to small business owners. And so they volunteered. They said, hey, can we teach this, uh, these classes to your members? And we thought, that's great. And after that series was done, by the way, it was a great partnership with Google. When that was done, the women in our community really started to say, you know what, I really need more of this because social media had become now a growing trend in marketing. A lot of our demographics or a lot of the women in our community were over the age of 40 or 50 and really weren't feeling comfortable being tech savvy with some of these new, like, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and uh, Etsy. And so we started to really develop our courses to be there of service to the women in our community. And so that kind of then changed the entire the model or the vision that we had for FemCity. And I love sharing that part because so many times we start a business and we think it's going to be one way and then it changes and we get upset or like disappointed. But I think it's important to recognize that there's an evolution just as there is for ourselves personally. There's an evolution in many of the businesses as they become more and more of a, of a resource of service to those that they serve. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it's also something that that's inevitable if a business is going to right. continue and, and grow and thrive in, in a healthy way, because by definition, if, if it's around longer, therefore you, you've met and interacted with more of your customers, you've heard what they like, what they don't like. And so inevitably, you're going to make changes to your business if you're a smart business owner, obviously, and that it's good to kind of stay open minded, right? Because you don't really know exactly which way it's going to go. It's going to be based on what your customers want. Absolutely. And I think of like big brands like Netflix, right? So when Netflix came on the market, you know, maybe uh, some of your listeners don't remember, but Netflix at the beginning was a DVD mailing system, right? So you would order your DVD and you would receive it. And it came in this very thin envelope and you had so much time to return it. And uh, it was a little bit cumbersome. It wasn't so um, tech savvy. It wasn't so revolutionary because it was better than Blockbuster because it made your life convenient, but it wasn't as convenient as it could possibly be. And that's a brand that I love to watch because then it kind of changed into like this other platform, right? So then it's all digital. And then it was like repurposed content. And then they started creating their own content. And now look at the brand that they've created. So even brands that we love every day, they've gone through tremendous amount of revolutionary or evolutionary processes in their development as well, where they look to see, okay, how can we serve a million people? How do we make this easier? How do we make our, their lives better? How do we price it so that everyone can afford a Netflix subscription? 
So I think that that's, those are some of the samples that when I talk about this theme, I love mentioning because that's one that took down Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster was so big. And here comes this, you know, this other brand new with a new idea. And it just kind of morphed into what it is today, which is enormous. Right. So to go back to where we were at, so you started with just a, a small get together with, with local women in the community to talk about entrepreneurship in Miami, right? And then it kind of naturally blossomed from there and, and expanded to other locations based purely on demand. At that time, you were working in like a consulting and, and PR role. And then it sounds like at some point along that timeline, you transitioned to doing this full time. But when did you actually begin charging and, and, and what was the business model? Yeah. So the beginning of Thumb City, we only charged for the lunch. And so we did make a little bit of money from the cost of the lunch. And then of course, what we charged for the lunch, there was a little bit. And I actually used that money to pay for our first website. And we started charging the membership once the website was up and running. There was no way, it was just too difficult to have people mail in checks. I mean, we tried that for a while, people mail in a check you know, an application and then we'd mail them back, you know, documentation that they've been approved as a member. And so it was really something that started to grow or that we actually launched and verbalized once we had the website that could actually take the order online. So that was a pretty big jump for us. And then once we launched the membership, it was kind of like, okay, so now we have this membership and you can get to the events. But when we had the classes and the courses, then that was a whole entire other intentional pause. You know, we paused throughout our development because we could see where we were going and we needed to be able to structure ourselves with humans and also with technology to get us into that arena. And so we, throughout our last 10 years, we've definitely paused in our growth. Like we didn't add more locations until we were ready to that, make that next jump. And then we didn't add, you know, more membership benefits until we had the technology to go ahead and have it so that we had membership pages so that there was more value, obviously, in the in joining the membership base. So it was definitely a process along the way. And um, I think the best thing that I can share with that is that um, it was just like listening, kind of seeing like forecasting where we were going to be, how we were going to serve more people. How do we help more people? You know, we're all in business to help others. So how do we get it so that we can help millions of people around the world with what we have, right? We didn't have billions of dollars in funding like many people. How do we do it organically? How do we do it in grassroots efforts? Yeah, and I think there's a really important uh, nugget in there about how you paused growth yes. at, at one point to focus on how to basically set up the business to scale in a sustainable way, which I think that it sound, that sounds nice, but when you're in the thick of it and you're actually pausing growth, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. easier said than done. And oh I think it's gosh. a little counterintuitive, right? Because yeah. especially especially in America, mo most people would consider you're supposed to consider growing indefinitely, right? And that's kind of absurd if you think about it, right? You, no business can literally grow forever. That at some point, something's going to gonna have to give. And by the way, are you familiar with the book Company of One by Paul Jarvis? No, I'm not. I'd, I'd, it'd probably be right up your alley. It really talks kind of about this theme of staying small and only growing when it's necessary. Like not don't grow for growth's sake, grow because it'll benefit your me your membership or your community in some way, not just so you make more money. So right. I think that's really smart of you that you were thinking through that. So just if you don't mind, would you mind sharing some of the numbers as far as what you actually were charging when you first launched the membership? 
Sure. So at first, um, and by the way, I love all that you shared right there because I, I, it, when we did share intentionally pausing, like having to tell people we're not going to launch any more communities for a couple months, that's not really well perceived, right? People are like, what? That's crazy. Like you should be launching because I want this in my backyard, but we had to set it up so that it always felt like family. We never wanted it to be like this huge brand that um, doesn't care about the humans, like the individual humans. So I'm so glad you brought that up because there's definitely pain along the way. So when we first started our membership base, we were actually priced pretty high. We were priced at 250 and we did sell some memberships. But I remember one day, you know, being in business for yourselves is involving, uh, has like a lot of aha moments. And one day I was looking at the traffic and I was looking to see how many people were clicking on the membership page and then where they were going after. And I thought, this is really crazy. We have so many people clicking on this membership page, but yet we're not getting that much more revenue. Like there's a whole bunch that's like, you know, why aren't they joining? What's going on? And so we tweaked uh, the words that we used. We added obviously more benefit. And at the end of the day, you know, when we talk about serving others and how do you make a difference? How do you make a movement across the world? You price things so that everyone can afford it. And so now it's $9.99 a month. And I had that idea. And then I spoke to one of my mentors She's the founder of Lucini Olive Oil, and she sold her company for quite a bit. I reached out to her to ask her about the price point. And I said, you know, if I lower the price, then everyone can afford it. And it's no longer a luxury, right? We had created this luxury brand. I mean, we were partnering up with Neiman Marcus. We were partnering up with Mercedes-Benz. And if we lowered it, we wouldn't be this luxury brand anymore. You know, would Saks Fifth Avenue still want to partner with us? And she said to me, Violet, it's very funny that you ask that because she went through the same thing with her brand. So Lucini olive oil is a delicious, like I think the best olive oil that we have in the grocery store. And she said that she was thinking the same thing that, you know, Walmart, uh, no, it was Costco. Costco had reached out to her. I don't know. It's either Walmart or Costco. I can't remember. But they had reached out to her to say, hey, we want to carry your product here. And she had that same thought, like, oh my gosh, you know, my olive oil is like, you know, the most beautiful and it's like the olive oil and all the top chefs use my olive oil and I'm not going to put it in, you know, Walmart or Costco. But then her mentor said to her, you know, who do you think you are? Like, how dare you think that way? Your product should be there for all humans. You know, why can it only be for certain, you know, people that make a certain amount? And so when she shared that with me, it was a really big aha moment for me because she's absolutely right. If I really want to serve the world, if I truly want to make a difference, if I want to impact millions of women, you know, so that they can go ahead and move forward and create that business and grow and make money, then $9.99 is a great price point. And so we looked at that and that was a huge movement for us, you know, to kind of lower our prices and be of service to more women. And we've definitely seen a, we saw growths in that. But that was a really tough moment. I think a lot of us kind of, oh, our value is so high and we have so much and we don't even have competition. But at the end of the day, what's your goal? You know, what do you want out of life? How do you want your brand to help others? And then think about that. And then there's always a sweet spot there where you have the value and what you're giving and how you can go ahead and, and really scale your business for that price point. Right. So just so I understand correctly, you said initially it was two fifty. So two hundred fifty dollars was that per year or was that per month? Per year. Per year. Okay. Yeah. And then you lowered it to nine dollars and ninety nine cents, right? A month, correct. Per month, right. So the, the initial price was essentially almost twenty one dollars a month. And then and then it was lowered to nine ninety nine a month. So that's a real significant change, you know, basically in half. Yeah. So one thing we've talked I've talked about with other people and, and just in general is pricing is tricky, right? Full stop. But mm -hmm. uh, you do need to 
charge enough to be a sustainable business in the sense that you don't burn out. Correct. You can serve your customers and your clients. You can afford to hire help when needed, like for example, for support so that you don't, you're not the one doing everything. And if you don't charge enough, you really have to do the math on it, right? If, how many hundreds or thousands of customers, if you were to get them at a certain price point, does that math work out for all those things to still be true for you to make enough money to, to live, to pay support, to not burn out? So $9.99, I would argue, is a little on the lower side. So I'd be curious, how do you handle things like support? Because I assume you, you know, you're getting a lot of members at that price point. Sure. So, And that's part of the intentional pausing. So we did an intentional pause last year, and we found that we could be more efficient with our process. So we could be more efficient in our onboarding of new leaders. We can be more efficient in sharing the information once someone does join. You know, what do they receive? How can we make all of the steps in the running of Thumb City more efficient and less time consuming so that we can be more productive, right, with our hours? And that I'm not working 14 hour days, you know, every day, um, exhausted, burning out. But that was part of that growth is like revamping the website, revamping the processes, creating a lot of tools that made things automatic. So now that when someone joins, they receive everything that they need. They receive videos, they receive step by steps, they receive the groups that they need to join. So that took a lot of time for us to create in order to get to this point And that's where that intentional pausing came through. It's like, okay, if we want to go ahead and be in 400 cities now by the end of 2020, and if we want to be in Europe as well, what are those things that we need to do? You know, creating a website that's easy to scale in other languages, creating it so that there's not that many people emailing for questions. You know, let's create an FAQ. Let's go ahead and have an online chat as well. So there are ways that you can go ahead and say, okay, if this is where we want to go, and this is where the price point needs to be, how do we go ahead and create that same service or even better our service, which I think is what we've done by utilizing what we have given and making things more efficient. And there's just so many tools out there that you know weren't there two years ago that make life a lot easier. And so we were able to incorporate all that structurally and in the process of pretty much everything we were doing so that it's now really easy. Every single component within Femme City is very, very easy to do. Yeah, and all that all makes sense, right? So focusing on automation, self-help essentially from from the customer's perspective, Mm -hmm. making the the flow of everything easier and more intuitive. And I think that all makes total sense to me. But for people listening, I think an important nuance here to pay attention to is that you started at a higher price and went lower and automated things after you had gotten real customers and gotten real feedback and learned, Correct. right? Learned what needs to be automated, where the pain points are. And it would be close to impossible to know that until you've actually launched and done this. Absolutely. So I think for people listening, the takeaway should be you need to charge enough to be sustainable in the beginning because a lot of things aren't going to be automated and there's going to be a lot of support issues just because the nature of a new business launching, you're, things are, you're going to do things wrong. Things aren't going to be right. And so you need to price at a certain amount to be sustainable. And then I think your goal of serving more people at an affordable rate is, is great. You know, that's admirable. But I think starting at a low price is, is a tricky place to begin. I think that might be a place to evolve to over time, potentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, um, you know, I want to add that sometimes you have to launch in order to see where the, like you mentioned, I'm just going to kind of add exclamation points on that, is that you have to launch, move forward. And then kind of watch and listen to see where those hiccups are. 
and then start doing those hiccups. I don't, I don't like doing hiccups all at the same time, like fixing the hiccups all at the same time, but you know, document to see like, where are the volumes of the most hiccups coming from and then addressing those as you continue to focus on the growth. But I'm very grateful that, you know, I found myself sometimes getting upset, like, oh my gosh, we should be in 600 cities by now. You know, we should be all over the world. But I find myself being very grateful that I was able to have the clarity to fix some of the issues that we were having in order to be there in a stronger place to launch because I, we just changed coding on our events. As an example, uh, we realized there's a better way of doing our events. There's a better system. So we changed some of the coding. We had to go back to, we had like 400 events on the calendar, had to go back and change the coding on that. So that's, you know, time consuming. That's stressful. That's a lot of anxiety, but thank the heavens. We're only in 125 locations. Imagine if I had been in 500 already, you know, so I feel like now we're ready for the next batch of growth. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs struggle with like launching forward because they're scared of like all these mistakes and all these hiccups and all these things you have to edit, but it's part of the process. Like just move forward and then watch and listen and just like do one at a time. And um, eventually you will have them fixed all those other issues. You'll grow to another level. And then there are going to be other issues that you have to kind of repair or make better. And then you grow to the next one. So I think if you look at it like that, it's not so overwhelming uh, versus like fixing everything or thinking like, I can't launch anything because... I already had a hiccup, you know, that's part of the whole process, like to embrace it. Yeah. So when you were first kind of, I guess, expanding from that initial group in Miami, how did you build your audience? Cause obviously you're, you're getting these one-to-ones and you're meeting with people and that community is getting larger, but were you also doing like email marketing or an email list at the same time? Like what were you doing to get people to know about FemCity? The biggest thing that sold FemCity from the beginning were the pictures that we posted on social media. And I think what made us so unique and different at the time, or at least this is what people have told us, is that the pictures reflected a unique quality of what was captured in a local way. Our members or the women that were coming to our events from the beginning was a very diverse group. It was every age bracket, every color of skin, every height, weight, and the industries of these women, like some were yoga instructors, some were lawyers, some were doctors. You know, it's very, very diverse. And I think that was refreshing for a lot of people. So I think the grassroots effort was really important for our initial growth. And that was based on just the images that we were sharing on Facebook. So we had no website, but it was just the pictures that were conveying a story. And that's what people were actually feeling that they wanted to be a part of. You know, something in that picture made them feel like that was the home that they wanted to to go, to be with. You know, that that's like finally they found their place. And sometimes we would have women that would come to us and would say that, you know, I finally found a place because we always incorporated gratitude. We always incorporated the, the spirit of community, what that was like, you know, to serve others. So we were different and unique and we stepped out in a kind of like a, a very edgy and different way. I mean, nowadays people talk more about spirituality and you've got, you know, um, Oprah Winfrey's got her show and there's like a lot of more of that theme out there. But we were one of the first kind of networking groups to break out. And our slogan was, you know, business for your soul, like really talking about that human connectivity that helps us. That was, I think, the beginning. And then as we started growing, it was, it's still really organic. It's people that come to us or hear about us or see a picture of us, learn a little bit more. Then they launch a location in their backyard, or maybe they know someone who works for us launching a location. So it's still kind of connected to the spirit of the organization that makes us so different and unique. And I think that really helped propel. Of course, we also have affiliate programs and referral programs, and we have the ability for women to launch it in their backyard so they can take that movement. You know, they use it as a platform for themselves. So they're getting 
more marketing for their own business. They're getting into PR and, and uh, publications and, you know, being keynote speakers. So there's a win-win for everyone that's involved with FemCity. And that has helped us to not have to have that billion dollar funding, you know, to make it so that it's truly grassroots and everyone that's connected is connected because of someone else they knew that went. So, you know, it's, there are pros and cons, obviously it would be better if we had billions of dollars, <laughs> we would have grown faster, but I love it. It just has that feeling. Every event that I go to, I, I fly in quite a bit to our locations in the U S and Canada. I don't show up with a name tag on, you know, I'm just like everybody else there. No one really knows who I am. And it always feels really special and unique. And that's really important to me that it always has that, I guess that's the, the community base of serving others, you know, that that's, that's just always the way it feels. That's a huge thing. Also, how do you capture that across the world? Yeah, I think, yeah, the authenticity is, is important to maintain. So real quick, why don't we dive into what have you done that hasn't worked from a, like a marketing perspective? Well, we talked about the price point. So that's a big one. I think what also has hurt that has hurt us in the past is so we had a free membership and we gave a lot of content away. And we did that for a couple of years because we felt like it was important to give free content. It was important to be of service. And so we gave away a lot. And I think that actually hurt us in the long run because sometimes people, you know, they enjoy getting free stuff all over the place and they don't ever invest in the membership. Right. So that hurt us. I mean, we have, I think like 13,000 or 14,000, you know, that would come through our website, go to our events and never really support the organization or support those members nearby because they weren't a member, you know, they were just coming in, it was a free event. And so I think that that's, one thing that you read about a lot that's, oh, share free content, free shot. And we, you know, we have a YouTube channel, we do a podcast, we do have free content, but I think there's like a really very careful spot where you don't give away so much because you do need to have people support your organization and you need to have people that invest in themselves and invest in others. And I think there's a wealth mindset also when people join networking groups or a subscription base, you know, they're investing not only in that brand, but they're also investing themselves, right? What, what resources am I going to use from that organization to help my business grow? And then if, since they're investing in themselves, they're going to start investing in other people around them. You know, they've got the kind of like a wealth mindset going on where they recognize that if they invest in others by sharing referrals, by, you know, sharing contacts or events or whatever it is, that it's going to come back to them. And that's one thing that I think took us a little bit longer to recognize that we were just, you know, making it too easy for people not to join. You know, why join if I'm getting all this stuff for free? Why join? And I think that did hurt us. And I have yet to read an article that says, share as much as you can, but be very cautious, you know, to make sure that you, you make it very attractive for them to finally join. And that was a really challenging place for us to be in. Yeah, there's definitely a line somewhere there. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind sharing as we're wrapping up here, are there any membership resources paid or free that you might want to shout out that would be of help to other people? Sure. I mean, I've been in business for myself since the age of 22. And I, I wish I had had someone tell me exactly what I needed to know, right? So like, just get to it, just give me the bullet points. And so because of that, we have a monthly masterclass series that's free for our members. It's about five to seven classes. That's the first Thursday of every month. I love that series. We also have a free course that's 20 week course on how to launch and grow your business where we kind of walk through every single step, even the legal parts of it creating your website, of course, how to do your social media, what all that means. So I think that really all the classes that we have are really spectacular because they've been requested by our members. And so when a request comes in, 
we look at our team and we say like, who's the best to teach this class? And we bring it to them. And I think that's the most beautiful thing that we offer. In addition to obviously that local homegrown feel, you know, to connect with people in your backyard through our collective format. But I think our classes, and of course, are, you know, we have a 30-day free trial. So now we give the opportunity for women to, you know, take a look and see, are these the classes that are going to help them grow their business? Do they really want to even launch a business? Maybe it's not even for them. Maybe they've been dreaming about launching a business, but they realize, you know what, I don't really want to launch a business, you know, like I don't need to. So I think those are my favorite parts of what we do. And I love seeing businesses grow, you know, launch and grow and flourish there. I think that's like one of the most beautiful things you can see is the success of others because you had a little part in their, in their path. Great. That sounds good, Violet. We'll end it there. I appreciate you taking some time to talk with us. Thank you. Well, it was wonderful. Thanks. This episode has been brought to you by MemberSpace, membership software anyone can use to easily turn their existing website into a membership business. You can learn more by visiting memberspace.com.